and I'm back. Another episode of Child. Listen, we're going to get right to it. But first, you can follow me on IG, Instagram, at my love, my need tonight. I've watched Tina this week. I just watched it again last night. I've listened to Carrie. But first, I have some things I want to say. Last week, I talked about Genius and Aretha Franklin and how horrible, <laughs> how terrible I thought Cynthia and Arivo did. And Okay, I think I'm saying her name wrong. Cynthia and Revo or Cynthia Arivo. I think it's Arivo. How bad she did. Um, kind of forgotten about it. But there was some stuff I forgot to talk about one is Duranis, Duranis Pace of the Pace Sisters. She was in it and that was just like a wow moment. Like, oh my gosh, because she had just passed away I think in December. And from what I'm putting together, they shot from this list of <laughs> the list of people I'm about to talk about that was in the movie. Um, they shot the movie in Atlanta and Duran has lived in Atlanta and uh, a bunch of these people live in Atlanta as we know who I'm about to talk about. Um, but you know, she just passed away and I'm, I think, I believe the, the production of um, the series was paused. And as you can tell, you can definitely, definitely tell here I go. Cause I did not plan on talking about this all day long, but I feel like I was going to be a moment. You can definitely tell um, at the seventh and eighth episode, it's less and less people. It's less and less um, interaction with everybody. Uh, And you can definitely tell, oh, okay, this is where they were taping in 2020 compared to, like, I guess, like 2019. And, like, like, the camera, like when Aretha did in her terrible fat suit. <laughs> Child, in her terrible fat suit, they had Cynthia uh, slash Aretha uh, doing the um, Grammy thing that she did, uh, Norma, Des- Norma Dessa. When she sang that, it's like the spot, this giant ass spotlight. You, it's just like weird close-ups my gosh and then like one part it was like a little dinner and it was very awkward nobody else it just seemed weird they were outside it just seemed weird um i had been listening to a bunch of aretha um afterwards i was listening to rock study and um i think they have like a whole genius playlist on or like i guess it's an album but I'm not sure if it's a real album, but it looks like an album. It's not a playlist of Aretha's um, music, like Rocksteady. And um, I love Rocksteady. I love her Jump To It album in the 80s. I love that album. I love, what else do I love? I love um, I Say A Little Prayer. Um, I'm, for, I'm blanking, of course. Um, but yeah. What was I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Duranis. It was great to see Duranis paste on there. I don't think anybody knew that she was going to be in there or any of these people were going to be in there. Um, but yeah, Duranis. Shout out to her Duranis Pace and the Pace Sisters. A very heartwarming little moment. And they like gave her moments. I don't know if this was like... I'm guessing this was like afterwards, post-production... Oh, I mean, you can shoot stuff, and then you can take stuff out. But if you have it, I feel like you're gonna shoot it, and it's for a reason. But so, like, they gave her like moments of her just singing, or like louder than everybody else, not in a bad way, but like giving her a moment. Oh my gosh, it's just such a sweet moment. Like, wow, they really—that was such a beautiful moment that they did for her. Because I feel like she she definitely struggled the last couple of years. And even, like, Steve Harvey gave her a car. And she was just so elated and so happy. Even to just be on his show, she was just so grateful. And she just, like, you know, she sang all the time. 
And like one of the things Duranis Page did that kind of went viral over the years was like her, her singing like for Thanksgiving or Christmas, she just walk in the door singing. And I feel like she just sang anywhere. And it's just like a bright spirit. You kind of think about it. Just, just, just a bright spirit. And I don't really know much of her work. I don't think the... I think it's LaShawn Pace is who I listen to. Um, I'm blanking on that song. But yeah, Duran is... I think she put out... She was working on an album. She put the album out. She was just working and healing and being a light. And just think about certain people. are like, wow, she is a light. Next person I'm going to talk about is T.I. <laughs> T-fucking-I. How did we get here? I feel like every role T.I. plays is generally the same role. He played some man. I, was, I wasn't really paying attention, but I feel like I think he... I thought he was this old, this dude. I thought he was an older version of this one dude that Aretha, quote unquote, met at a um, rally for like Black Lives Matter back then. Let's call it that. I'm forgetting the name of stuff. I it wasn't Black Panthers, but like let's just call it. It was a movement that was going on back then. I'm forgetting like the name. It wasn't the Civil Rights Movement. I don't think. Because I don't want to sound stupid because I'm not trying to... I'm forgetting. I'm just forgetting. That's the thing. So, (laughs) or I'm like mistaken of certain stuff. So, uh, I thought he was playing an older version of a man. But I think he was just playing a different version and he kind of came into Aretha's life. Whoever this man was, I don't know if he was fictional or not. Because there was one relationship they didn't talk about, which... A stand that was more, which was more important than Ti's role, but Ti kind of made her give her confidence and give her like sort of music confidence in a sense and personal confidence. And he was allegedly there during the uh, Amazing Grace album making. Excuse me, um, but Ti just played this sort of player dude. I think in the movie Ti's character was married. It was weird. I wasn't sure what was actually going on with T.I. Next on the list we have is Mimi from Love and Hip Hop. Mimi, Mimi Frost. Frost. Stevie J's wife. Oh, ex-wife. Wait, ex-whatever. I'm forgetting. They might have not even been together. Um... She was allegedly an... Oh, I'm not going to say allegedly. She was an extra because... I'm saying allegedly because I didn't see it. And and I was like, wait, what are you guys talking about? I'm reading through Twitter and I see that they're saying... Mimi. Look at Mimi. Mimi. I can't believe Mimi's um, an extra. And I'm like, what are you... What? She was like... (laughs) She was an extra in some part. I'm guessing it was some church part because I just saw some pictures. And she was like... Dressed very churchy. So, shout out to Mimi. Mimi. Um, I was just doing some reading, and I just read that Mimi was in Lisa... Not Lisa, in um, Rena. Not Rena. In... Oh, man. The Scientology lady. <laughs> I'm forgetting her name. Her name is Rena. From King King and Queens. She was the Scientology person that is has been exposing Scientology for the last like five years. Um, she was in that documentary that she did, and Mimi was saying that ma- her mom, I guess, was a part of Scientology, and because Mimi wouldn't sign a contract, Mimi's mom, like abandoned her not abandoned but um exiled didn't talk to her i'm not gonna say it was abandoned but it was like a a specific word they used and i was like what no way first of all you don't even hear a lot of black people talking about being in scientology let alone mimi faust from love and (laughs) hip-hop so i'm like okay that's crazy i'm gonna have to go look into that um, then we have little the, from Tanya Banks 
from the Little Women of L.A. She played a actual character who was actual um, somebody. I'm forgetting the name. I didn't look up the names. I'm not even going to say I forgot. I didn't look up the names, but I did see, like, the person she was, she was playing was the actual person. And I kind of love that. Like, give the different... The spread. I don't know how do I say this? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be insensitive, but give like the sort of maybe casted out characters or casted out people in our world. Give them actual roles to play, like like make stuff make sense. And she did a really good job in that role. I was just like, I was very shocked. I was like, oh my gosh, it's a homegirl from Little Women of LA. That's really good. But I also was looking up at her, um, her IG, and she was, she's an actress, and she used to do stunt double. She used to be stunt, do stunt work. And then I found out that she was in Tupac's California Love music video. And I'm like, what? I see, I don't, I'm not a huge rap fan. So I was like, whoa, this is pretty cool. But yeah, shout out to those four people. Um, Tanya Banks. They, yeah, shout out to them. And shout out to Genius for that mess that you created. Did I have anything else to say besides, thank God, the last two episodes, we didn't see much of the little girl. You can definitely tell the isolation and it was like the lower cast members around each other the last two episodes so we can tell that was during covid um i'm trying to think the time jump was a little crazy the wigs weren't 100 percent accurate of course i hated the singing anyways one thing I want to say is television is weird and television becomes racist. I don't know what I can and cannot say on anchor or whatever without being like reprimanded. There's a word I want to say <laughs> that is going to describe my next topic and it's the N word. It's Negro day. But you know the other word I'm talking about. It's Negro Day on TV. And one thing I noticed, all these networks have, I feel like all these networks only have black people on their show. I mean, um, hosting their show or being anchors on their show. Whether there's news or like Bravo or like um, mostly the news. You see it in the news. And then in The View, you have, okay, so like in the news, we have um, Robin Roberts, Michael Strahan, who just closed his gap. He showed us, he closed his, he closed his gap. And I'm like, what was the point of that? Like, do we really care? Was it that necessary? I don't think it was. Um, you've waited this long. Why do it now? And then it looks like he has a completely new teeth. So it doesn't even look like he has his gap closed. It just looks like he has new teeth. Um, they have him, the today show, they'll use Al Roker. I don't know who's over at the today show now, but, um, they use Al Roker. Tamron Hall used to be over at the today show. GMA. Um, I need to talk about GMA. Um, and then we have CBS for, I mean, Gail King for CBS. And so I was scrolling today. Shout out to Kelly Rowland because Kelly Rowland was on The Ellen Show and she finally did Hitman. And Hitman, I believe, is like one of the NFL songs. So shout out to that. Get it a little more check for your check, Kelly. Um, beautiful performance. Great song, of course. You, know, you guys know I love Hitman and um, Crazy. I haven't listened to it since but i really do love him man great performance kelly shout out to you but i saw she was gonna be on the ellen show and this um media personality let's call him that from twitter social media his name was kaylin allen and i saw that he was hosting so i'm like wait a minute what's going on here so i click the link or I clicked somebody's Twitter and I went to their Twitter and I saw on Twitter 
child that Angelica Ross from Pose was also going to be on the show. And I'm like, Ellen, are you having a Negro day? The N-word. Yeah, the N-word I really want to say, but I'm not going to say that. Ellen, are you having a Negro day? Because Kaylin Allen was guest co-hosting for Ellen that day. And why do we have two Negroes, three Negroes on the show? It's very weird. But I really noticed this back in the day, like probably about, ooh, probably about four years ago, five years ago. I really noticed Bravo. I used to love Bravo. You know, they have Sunday nights are, let's just say it, Sunday nights are dedicated to the black audience. It's weird. It makes me slightly uncomfortable to even say it because I, I've talked to, I've tweeted about it before, but like to actually think about it, you're like, I'm saying it, it makes me slightly uncomfortable, but that's, it's dedicated to the black audience. And we have, you know, Real Housewives of Atlanta, Married to Medicine, Real Housewives of Potomac. And I think that's the only black shows. I think, no, I think Chef Earl Blair might've been like on like a Wednesday, Thursday what are the black shows? I can't think of any of the black shows. But those have been like the main staple ones. So then they'll play that and then I'll watch what happened live. Andy Cohen. <laughs> the joke that is Andy Cohen. His show, Watch What Happens Live, he'll have two black people on there every Sunday. Whether it's a real housewife or married to medicine person, and then a celebrity or two celebrities. It's weird. So I just wanted to like point that out. It's Negro Day on Bravo Sundays. There, it just feels like the only black people that are on there. They're only there, like. Um, Gail, I think she did, of course, you know, Gail did a, another interview with, um, Meghan Markle and Gail did an interview with, um, R. Kelly, um, Robin, I think, I, I can't think of any like Robin or, cause I haven't watched in a while, Robin or Michael Strahan, but definitely I've seen Al Roker randomly, the weatherman talk to some black person about whatever movie's coming out or whether, whatever, it's, it's weird. But I just want to point that out. Let you guys know what's really good. And, yeah. Negro Day. Why do you guys think that? Also, let me get some feedback. The um, This podcast is on YouTube. Leave me an IG comment. I try to put it up. Uh, relatively afterwards um, after everything goes through from anger but yeah leave me a comment how do you feel about Negro Day or certain people being on these shows to only talk to black people certain black people them only low key hiring, hiring black people to talk to other black people here we go my savior now, I do remember somebody, um, a friend who listens, brought this up and was like, I love how you talked about, you know, is it going to give me hood gospel or white gospel? My Savior, Carrie Underwood's first gospel album. Who said, somebody said, oh crap, I'm forgetting. Somebody tweeted, this is Carrie Underwood's, oh shit, I forgot. It was so funny and it was so like not they didn't say gospel it was some other word and it was like is that shade it was something funny i forget it i'm sorry um carrie underwood's first gospel album is definitely giving me giving me white gospel <laughs> but it's a carrie underwood so i'm not that mad um i'm just gonna give you a couple of songs that i love from it Let's just first off say Carrie Underwood did a wonderful job. It's a beautiful album. Not 100% my cup of tea. Um, some of the songs, most of the songs, I'm going to say about 70% of the songs are very, well, 
so we, okay, 60% of the songs are boring to me. So lots of them are slow. But I'm not going to um, punch it in the head because it's a slower album. She takes time enunciating and with it being slow, you get the feeling, you get the words. Her voice flows so well and tells the stories and tells the worshiping and you feel it. I I don't know if I'm explaining that correctly. Like it's a, because she's going slow, she's slowing it down. And because she's going slow and because she's in, that gives her time to enunciate and you kind of feel it. You feel the passion and you feel the worship. You feel the, um, sincerity from her voice through the words that you can definitely tell what she's saying. One of my favorite songs, and I think the fan favorite song, and she said it was her favorite also. An incredible moment, a spectacular moment she gave us is How Great Thou Art. Now, I said this before, she did How Great Thou Art. Um, she added that on, it was a live version she did, and she added that on to her Greatest Hits album, I think Vince Gill, not Vince Gill, it might be Vince Gill, who's playing the guitar with her as she's singing. It's a live version, and she put that on her great, yeah, yeah, I just said that. So now we have a studio version, and baby, ooh child, if you thought she wasn't going to deliver, if you thought she was going to deliver, you thought wrong, completely wrong. She gave, she she delivered times a thousand. She gave her soul. She gave her words. She gave her voice to this song. I mean, and she says that she's like, this song is a build-up song. And she builds it up. And then right when you think she's going to stop, she comes powering through with this high-ass note. And she holds the note. And then the production of the music really give it, the production of the song really enhances the experience and the flavor of the song. Every time I listen to that song, the studio version, every time I've listened to it, I get the same excited, exhilarating, sort of praise and worship feeling. Like, I have a little moment. Like, yes, through the music, I definitely feel her connecting us to that other realm. I love it. And I think that song everybody loves too, because besides greatest by faithfulness, which I'm about to speak about that song, I just read on, I just looked at YouTube, her YouTube account and 197, wait, 197,000, 197, 190, yeah, 197k is that, and that's the highest number of that um, of her gospel songs from the album. The other ones are in like the like two digit numbers. Um, and then the second highest song was 200k with uh, "Great Is Thy Faithfulness" with um. CC Winans, great song, great song. I think the song to me is missing maybe like a harmony. I think I said this already, but like maybe a harmony at the end. But oh my gosh, you can definitely with again, again, with both of them, with the, both of the songs, you could take your time. They're taking their time with the song. They're enunciating. They are specifically hitting the notes and you can feel the notes as they hit them. Oh my gosh, great song. Great duet. Beautiful duet. I don't know if it's a duet, but a beautiful um, partnership. Great. Another one I really did enjoy is um, The Old Rugged Cross. It has a little a little gangster to it, which, which is why I do appreciate that. I need a little hood, a little gangster to my certain songs and certain things I listen to. But overall, great, great, um, 
great album, Carrie. We'll see how the charts do it. I think that that information will come out in like tomorrow or so. Tomorrow, no, probably Friday. Well, uh, probably there probably should have been like a precursor to what's going to happen. But shout out to Carrie Underwood. She's done press. She's doing a little press, you know. And then her um, this Easter Sunday, she has a live a live concert on Facebook. So let's all check that out. And hopefully, hopefully she'll do greatest by faithfulness. I mean, uh, how great that art. Great song. Great. Uh, Carrie, I feel like some of the video, Carrie felt like she seemed like she was going to like cry talking about certain songs. And like, Carrie, just, okay, we get it. You love the Lord. <laughs> Calm down a little bit. Don't cry, girl. Like, she just seems so passionate. And it's like, I don't really know that side of Carrie Underwood about her, um, you know, spiritual side. But I did see some of her, the, her and her husband did some videos about their spiritualness and their marriage and their journey. And it's like, okay, you guys have, you know, people of faith. Wonderful. So, um, yeah, check that out if you want to hear some good music. Okay, so here we go. Up next, when I come back, we're going to talk about Tina. Oh, my gosh. I have so much to say about this documentary. When we come back, we'll get into it. Tina, Tina, Tina. Okay, so the Tina documentary came out this last previous Sunday. I think it's called Tina Film or Tina the Film. Tina. This is a hashtag. The hashtag is Tina Film. I think the movie is just called Tina. I mean, the documentary is just called Tina. Beautiful. Wonderful. Heart-wrenching. Exciting. Heart-fulfilling. Joy, triumph, those are the words I'm going to say to describe my feeling of watching Tina. Beautiful. Just, oh my gosh, winsome. Wonderful. I didn't think it was going to be this amazing. I'm going to watch it again because I watched it and then I had to leave, so... I came back and I was like, okay, let me watch it again. Take more notes. I'm going to watch it again because, oh my gosh, what a movie, what a film. The footage. We're talking about footage from, from, <laughs> from, I'm, how old am I? Okay, we're talking about footage from like 20 plus years ago. 20, 30, 40 years ago. Great. Okay, not even that. Okay, we're okay. That's just the 80s and 90s I'm talking about. Not even to mention the 50s and 60s footage that they had that was just so clear. And it's just like, where do you find this stuff? There was like footage from um, her doing press for her movie, um, Once I've Got to Do It. Like, where do you find that from? Because I'm sure it's not on YouTube. That's what I meant to look to see if it was on YouTube. Great job to whoever produced this film. Great job to HBO for if you produced it, HBO, HBO, amazing, amazing. The poster of Tina, the um, like photo that they use for the promote for the documentary, beautiful. And they had these celebrities. I think they had like a sweater. I'm going to see if I can get one. HBO, send me a sweater. Send me a, sh a hoodie. I love the picture. It's so beautiful. It's so like candid. It's like it's Tina, she's like blowing you a kiss, but she's about to. You see the nails, you see the hair, and then her, um, I think she's on like a white shirt or something. I love the photo. I think the um, HBO was sending it to like celebrities and then celebrities are promoting the documentary. And it's like, yeah, I really didn't need to do that. We're going to watch it anyway. Okay, so the one of the things we see is one of the things I learned 
um, is from 1981. People Magazine, Tina did her first interview talking about Ike and her marriage with Ike and the career with Ike and exposing Ike as the abuser that he was. Um, they had the actual audio, which I was like, oh, wow, this is so great. And the audio, she's so raw. I mean, it's like, it's not like Tina now where she had time to like, t- she's, you know, where she's had years of thinking about it and reflecting on it. It's raw. Like this happened, I'm not sure when she left. Yeah, okay. I'm sure she left like in the early 70s or late 70s. So this is 81. So this is raw. This is like, um, this is what I've been through. I believe she's already divorced at this point. I'm pretty sure she's already divorced at this point. It's raw. Her raw emotions, her raw feelings. She's cursing a little bit. She's giving you a perspective of her life fresh. And I love that. One of the things they talked about, they said, um, Tina, uh, Tina says she low-key didn't feel pretty. And I'm like, did she didn't feel pretty or was she not white? Because, you know, as we know, Tina has this... <sighs> in certain ways, I'm kind of like, okay, Tina, do what you want because you deserve it. To be honest, Tina, you deserve whatever you want. You deserve to say whatever you say, however you feel. I'm not going to judge you so much anymore like I kind of used to when she would say certain stuff or when I read for certain stuff that she would said about white people and how she low-key connects better with the white culture, England, Paris. You know, she lives in Switzerland. She's a citizen, actually. I And I had just read, preparing for this, um, I read the latter part of her book, My Love Story, I believe it's called. Oh, Lord. Wait, it's right here. Let me make sure. What is this book called? Yeah, My Love Story, which came out a couple of years ago. Um, and I read, you know, I read about she had cancer. They didn't talk about this part in the documentary. She had cancer. Um, at first, she had a stroke. Then she had cancer, um, intensive intestinal cancer. And at that point, she was like, Oh, no, no. Then she had kidney. Her kidneys failed. The stroke, she recovered semi... Well, not semi. She she recovered mostly from... I think her handwriting is the only thing that's um, pretty much stroked out. Her cancer got renewed. I mean, not renewed. Her cancer got... Um, what's it called? Uh, it went away. Or they took all the cancer out of her intestinals. Intestines. And then her kidneys, she talked about her kidneys and um, Chinese medicine. She tried to do that and she stopped taking her high blood pressure medicine. She was just trying to fix herself without using traditional medicine. And that fucked her up. And she was like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have taken, I shouldn't, well, basically what took her off of what messed her up was the high blood pressure. Herself taking her, taking herself off of her high blood pressure medicine. Is this thing on? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> because they, um, taking you off, you already had damage. And so the high blood pressure was so high blood pressure. I'm, I'm which I'm learning through her is very serious, very, very serious. And, because you took yourself off the medicine, it's not helping the high blood pressure. So now, is doing more damage to your kidneys. So her kidneys were done. Her husband, Urban, gave her gave her a kidney, and she's doing great. Um, right up until this book was released. I'm just supposed to be talking about the documentary. Right up until the book was released, she um, was going through so much and traveling back and forth to the doctors, and I didn't know she did not know a lot of... Um, Swiss? Swiss? I don't know why I keep getting Germany and Switzerland mixed up. But I think they speak German in Switzerland or something. I'm forgetting what she exactly said. But she had to learn 
I didn't know she didn't know a lot of words. And I thought she, because she said, I was reading, anticipating. And when she said, uh, I have to, you know, you have to learn German or whatever to get the um, Swiss um, citizenship. I was like, oh, she knows a lot of Swiss. Homegirl doesn't know a lot of Swiss. She couldn't even speak to the doctors that much. And I was like, yikes, Tina. This isn't helping. <laughs> you love the place. Beautiful. And HBO showed her um, her house, the views from outside. She And in the book, she keeps talking about her house and how beautiful it is. And I was like, okay, Tina, we get it. But oh my gosh, they showed the lake, Lake Zurich. She lives next to her garden it's ethereal it's like oh my gosh i can't believe she actually lives here like this is stuff you really see in movies beautiful um chateau conquit i think it's called her house whatever it's called back to the film but i'm just like you know tina she says you know she connects more with the white with you know european culture and especially when her um river deep mountain high popped off or didn't pop off in America and that part in the film when they show Ike talking about that and how it's not a Negro song and it's not a show song and shoot this song wasn't going to do well over here blah 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 Tina's literally like side eyeing the fuck out of him like this Negro I wish I could just oh but I'm not around I'm around people child that was funny um she, well, and then she went, okay, well, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but she, when her career, when she redid her, well, introduced, she said it was an introduction to herself, but when her career had a revamp with what's love got to do with it, and that era, after that era, Europe really connected and accepted Tina Turner. So it's like, okay, Tina, go to Europe, be happy, whatever. But I'm just saying, she's saying she wasn't, she didn't feel pretty. Tina was not an ugly kid. Tina's not an ugly woman. Um, and I think even with her age, you know, because she was black and like, she, Tina was like 50 when she, or like late 40s when she, what's love got to do with it, 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 I feel like her beauty and her preservation of her body and all of that, her blackness really played a part in I feel like that could have played a part. Like, if she was some, you know, frump-a-dump-ish person, woman, who knows where her career could have turned. But she had a resurgence, I think, because of that. But, like, she said, I'm like, she didn't feel pretty. I'm like, it was pretty because you didn't feel white. Because they had to, like, did a little white thing with that in the documentary. Patty LaBelle syndrome. I feel like she had that. You know, Patty worked many, many, many years. So did LaBelle. Worked many, many, many years. Packed out concerts. To this day, Patty, you know, she's done what she's done um, in terms of, you know, music at this point. Or, like, probably hits at this point. Um, but like Patty, at that time, I can, I can Tina, they didn't have a hit necessarily they have these great songs but their performance value and the performance they put on really packed shows and kept them working and kept them working because of their talent talent it's not because of a hit it's because of talent uh what does it say oh they were talking about okay so she talked about one thing I was confused about was her first time, the first time Ike hit her and he was, she was like, yeah, he hit me with a shoe stretcher and she cut like, it wasn't clear. She kind of like made like a run on sentence in a way. And it was like, she said she was pregnant and then she was like, yeah, Ike, the first time he hit me was with a shoe stretcher because I said, I didn't want to go out on the road. Because I was pregnant, and he told me this is the way it's gonna be, and then he hit me with a shoe stretcher. I'm like condensing, and then he raped. Basically, he raped her. 
So I'm like, was she pregnant? I didn't, because I've never heard her say she was pregnant during this time. That he hit her first. Well, I always heard, you know, he hit her with a shoe stretcher. And then um, he, you know, forced himself to have sex with her, or forced her to have sex with him, which I'm taking now is basically raped her. And she was disgusted, and I didn't know she was pregnant at that time. Okay. Let me know if you if you got that. Okay, so this was such a eye-opening and such a weird moment when she talked about leaving, or when she talked about Phil Spector wanting to do a song with her. It was her first time being away from Ike, and... Ike had this way, she says, of, like, producing and singing music. Oh, the body of the boy, I meant to say, this is our main course. The main course this week is the film, Tina. Miss Tina Turner. Um, Ike wanted her just to sing the song raw and give it all she got and gravelly and Horace, uh, sing it out, just sing it. And Phil Spector said, Tina, I want you to sing. Sing the melody of the song, fucker. And Tina said she found that there was freedom in singing the melody. Now, as we know, singing a melody is very strict. You know, singing a melody is a certain way. There's a certain way of singing, and it's... It's sort of contradictory what she's saying. Not in a bad way. I'm just saying this is the way that a melody works. You know, you, you sing a melody and it's a certain way. It's formatted. It's blueprinted for you to sing. And she found freedom in that. And freedom in that. She wanted to branch out. She didn't know. They said in the in the film, she didn't know that she had other dreams with the music. Other aspirations, other moments, other peaks and peaks to climb with music. She was growing as an artist and didn't know it. And River Deep Mountain High. Um solidified that for her. It really did. Okay, so Here's a little moment. Here's a little insight into my life. Um, the movie was kind of triggering. After that River Deep Mountain High part, they talked about her abuse. And I didn't know it was going to be such a triggering moment. Um, one moment they talked about was Craig, one of her sons. He talked about, well, he's no longer here. He passed away or he committed suicide. But they had some footage from 2000 that he did when he did an interview. And he was like, and I realized, oh, Craig, Craig isn't Ike's father. I mean, Ike's son. Ike isn't Craig's father. So you already know this. And then you see there's this dynamic. And he said, my mother. And once you hear that, once you know, you know, that's not his father, you're like, oh, he's really taking this personal. Not in a bad way, but he was like, um, I remember one time he, oh my gosh, I'm trying not to cry. He got mad with my mom and he splashed hot coffee in her face. And she went in the room and she was crying and he was out the door and he was like, mom, 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 are you okay? And she's like, Craig, I'm fine. It's okay. I'm okay. And that kind of brought up a little triggeration because I did grow up um, for a short period of time experiencing, I say a short period because it did end um, the domestic abuse I grew up, you know, in a domestic abusive home, and I didn't think it was going to be, I didn't didn't think anything of it, Um, 
it's just it was very triggering and like oh wow like something about it like really connected and then you know i'm now i'm thinking like all these moments where you know it happened um but to grow up in a domestic abusive house is very me personally i didn't think about it until I'm older and I'm like an adult and I'm like, oh, wow, you know, some fucked up shit actually went down and some scary moments actually happened. Crazy moments, like one on like the highway. And then this specific moment that was really crazy that I thought about. But, you know, it was very triggering. So then we have... Um... Tina leaving. And for some reason this time with, I think it was like the music and she was correcting herself a little bit because she's like, I've been telling the story, but I'm like, I'm thinking, oh, that's not really how it's been, how it was, you know, like it was such a emotional moment for me because I'm like, damn, Tina, you did it. You left. And it was like the music was playing a little bit of the <laughs> they had a little sound effect in there every now and then with the horn when she, you know, she's like, I, we fought in the limousine, we went to the hotel room and I said I had to leave. I massaged him to sleep. I packed, I grabbed my little bag and I ran out the door ran across she didn't say across the street it wasn't like a highway but she said i went through like this back alley into like this other hotel and like with the music and everything like i said it was just like such an emotional moment like yes tina you did it and you finally are free and then also one of the things i did find that was hilarious that uh she talked about respect she was singing aretha franklin's respect at one of the concerts with ike when she was still with Ike, and um, she's like, men want men want to do what they want to do. Men can do whatever they want and be accepted, but we have to. We as women, we want respect, and I'm just like cracking up. Like, girl, no, you are not doing this. I know I turn a stage, and he just back there playing the bass. Like it ain't shit. But she was like, one of the things that I was really revealing, and I think carries Tina in her life today is once she found buddhism chanting finding inner peace finding the strength she was done with ike once she found that and it prospered in her life it wasn't when she left it was before she left she was done with ike she was done taking his bullshit she was done taking his beatings she was done with ike and i think i've I think afterwards she found peace because somebody said today and I had read a tweet and I like, it's kind of embarrassing the amount of things that I can put together and that I see and that I've become obsessed. Like when I become obsessed with something, I read about it. I look up into it. I look at all like uh, for a moment, you know, a moment ago, you know, you read, you look at a nice amount of Tina Turner interviews. You, you see her talking about the same things. And I feel like, when she left Ike, that's when she really found happiness. Because somebody was like, I hope Tina, you know, heals herself from Ike and whatever, whatever in this last, you know, quarter of her life. And I'm like, no, I think Tina's been happy way after, way before now, at least in the 90s, if not the 80s. Because mid-80s is when her career resurged and, you know, money, money was a big issue after after, like I have on here, you know, Tina hustled after Ike. She was doing TV shows. Um, she had, for some weird reason, all the debt that Ike and Tina collected because they weren't doing music anymore or shows anymore, all that debt fell on Tina. So Tina was not only rebuilding herself personally up, she was rebuilding her career up. She was hustling, doing TV shows. She was doing... Um, a bunch of albums that didn't sell. Here we go. Another with the Patti LaBelle syndrome. And you know, one thing I did. Okay, wait, let me stay focused. <laughs> I'll get back to that in a second. Um, 
I even forgot what I was talking about. Child, here goes my mind. But, uh, oh, her happiness. So, like, you know, like I was saying, yeah, she was, like, doing all these things to bring her, um, her career up. And I think after the 80s, like I said, when her career resurged, not even resurged, because I want to say what she said. She said it was an introduction of Tina to the world. And I was, she won Grammys and started selling, selling, selling out stadiums, becoming a historian, like, Tina's the only woman, she's the biggest selling um, ticket holder in the world, male, female, black, or white. So I feel like in the 80s, and then she found love again, but I feel like in the 80s, definitely in the 90s, Tina's been happy. She's retired a couple of times. This time, I believe now she's really retired. I'll talk about that in a second because... I've had feelings. I had feelings about that after watching this. I don't have that much of a strong feeling about it anymore. Um, but I feel like she's been happy. And as a person that has put two and two together, I do feel like Tina does is happy. She's doing what she wants to do, which is retired. And let's stop making crazy narratives. Like, Tina isn't happy, or Tina... Yeah, she's going through... Yeah, she has stuff she probably is working on as far as, like, healing, but I feel like she's definitely in a good space and a good place with her life at this part. Like I said, she hustled. She struggled to get a um, label. She was an older black woman. They were confused about, where's Ike? What are you doing? Um... At that point, you know, she was doing like, this is like the late 70s. And I looked at it and I was saying, there's tons of these legends that didn't hit it right out of the park. With their first album, second album, it took them a plethora of albums. Patti LaBelle. Patti, you know, she had a couple of hits every now and then through the 70s. But the 80s is where it really popped off for Patti with Winner and You and then... That shit, that was like the late 80s. And then the 90s, Patty really resurged. Diana Ross, she went through so many albums until she had sort of these staple hits like The Boss and I'm Coming Out. Those are like the 70s. I mean, the late 70s, late 80s, mid 80s. At that point, she had put out a couple of plethora of albums. And we know Aretha, she was spotty with her albums. Aretha only has two number one hits. So it's like, what's really good out here in these streets? Um, but, you know, Tina, she put out a plethora of albums in the 70s. And then it wasn't until like 84, 85 where, well, what's it got to do with it? It came out. And can you believe that the um, the label um, CEO, whatever you call it, I'm forgetting the name, president of the label, he called her old nigger douchebag to her, um, Roger Davey, shout out to Roger Davey, they really built career, Tina's career, built it, he was her manager for 20, I think it was like 19 years, they sat there and built that shit, and it blew the fuck up in the best possible way. Shout out to Robert, Roger Davey, her manager. But he told, um, the president told Roger, you son, or whoever, I forget, he, but whatever the, whoever the person was talking to. Um, he was like, you signed this nigger douchebag. And it's like, chill out. So the racism, the sexism, the <sighs> craziness that really went on back then Tina couldn't get away from Ike Tina sat there and sold out arenas stadiums sold plenty O records and couldn't get away from Ike from the media the media oh well did you know did you know that Ike did this and that and she's like girl I just sold out a stadium with 60,000 people you were talking about Ike get the fuck out of here. And I would be like, get the fuck out of here. And the, the, the little beef footage they had of her talking about um, dodging questions of Ike, it was so fucking hilarious. Please watch this film. It's really great. Um, she also felt like, you know, she was held back 
like I said, um, the amount of albums that she had to do before she had a hit. She felt like she was held back because of her voice and she was a black woman. Her voice, you know, wasn't, her voice isn't a typical voice. She said she doesn't like the men, but I don't know. It's a rock and roll. It's a really good voice. It's a good voice. She kills it. Um, she says she, like I said, she had this white, this white thing. She says she had to move to England. And like I said, England, Europe, they really accepted Tina more than America did. And it's like, okay, I get it. Go on, go on to England. But she says she had to, she moved to England and you know, her, she didn't have any friends here because of Ike. Her children were all grown. She had to make a decision and her decision was to go to happiness and go focus on your career. And she says she needed um, all of her brain to map out her life, map out her life. Ooh, that's a quote right there. She needed everything to map out her life. And okay. So one of the things I've, I realized, well, I didn't realize was she wrote her first book. I Tina in the late eighties, she wrote that to, um, get away from the Ike narrative, which the Ike narrative now is a part of her life. But she wrote that to get away from Ike. And she wrote it for, so people would stop asking and talking about Ike to her because she was like, I'm getting depressed. I, they keep talking about Ike. And I, it's like, I'm happy. I was happy after I left him. I'm happy now. I forgive, I have forgiven Ike I don't even think about Ike. <laughs> I don't know if this is real or not, but I do remember when Ike Turner died in like 2007 or something. Somebody said, Tina said, they asked Tina, Tina, Ike just died. Do you have any, do you have a comment or anything? And she said, I don't know if this is true or not. This is the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. They said, Tina said, call me when you get some real news. <laughs> How fucking hilarious. Um, so, yeah. she And then she talked about the book. And um, she, they had audio of... Um, what's his name? Not Roger Davey. The man that... Um, the man that... Kurt Loda. Look at my memory. Popping through. They had audio of um, her talking to him. And she, again, was very... Um, she was very raw. And she wanted to get away from Mike. She, was, she hasn't seen what's left got to do with it. Probably because the movie's not really much based... I think it's very theatrical and not 100% based on the book. And then partly because she's like... I lived through it. It's embarrassing. I've lived through it. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to really talk about it anymore. But I do want to say this thing about what she says. Oops. What she, how she, um, so eventually the movie became, or her life became, um, a Broadway play, Broadway play. And she talks about, I want to give this little excerpt I read about her trying to um, convey to Adrian, who played her on the um, Broadway play, about her, how to portray Tina. Becoming Tina involves more than putting on a wig, a short skirt, and high heels. Although the right costumes help, first of all, I told her, you have to realize that everyone will be a bit picky about you being Tina. We get it, yes. True. I love Tina's um, connection and clarity and understanding about the public. And then she goes on and talks about her um, her relationship with her fans. And also, you know, everybody, you're playing a big role, a big figure, a life, a very prominent person in our culture. Everybody is going to be snappy, have their own thoughts. My fans sat there for every tour, every show. They know every move I made as ever well as I do. So don't just mimic me. Learn. But you don't have to be a little bit you don't have to be you have to be a little bit of yourself. 
and step into her shoes and become it totally. Adrian I had to find her. Adrian had to find her inner Tina. I could tell I could tell her what I was feeling at different moments in my life. Give her tips about phrasing and hitting the right notes. Show her how to shake her hips from side to side instead of front to back. Demonstrate the inter- intricacies of the pony. But the most important lesson I learned, the most important important lesson I could teach her, her always was her to always think about her audience, to con- concentrate on what they're feeling. When you look out and you see the audience is really into you and they're having a good time, you have to hold on to that feeling. Let it motivate you as you let it motivate you to be a good Tina. I told her she had to take her enthusiasm and give it right back to them like a gift. My strongest love affair was has been with my audience. Beautiful. 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 I have nothing more to say, but beautiful. Um, PTSD. Her husband said that, you know, she has dreams. She lived it. I think maybe we all do have PTSD when we're, when we've been in dramatic and traumatic domestic situations. We all do have PTSD. I know I have a certain form of PTSD, I notice, oh, I moved this way because of that, or I think this way because of that. Um, but her PTSD, you know, she's constantly, she's like, she's explained it as, you know, I'm constant, constantly talking about it. And the brain says, oh, you want to talk about it? Oh, okay. Here's this memory. Here's that memory. Here's this feeling. Here's that feeling. And she's just like, you know what? Y'all niggas are exhausting, so I'm going to move to Switzerland, and I'm going to shut the door, and I'm going to have my glass of wine. Um, But yeah, she she had PTSD, or she has PTSD of it. And all of that saying, saying all of that, and ending on this note for my main course, you know, the film segment of my podcast. <laughs> Saying all of that, I definitely had, it was, it was very, heartbreaking, scary, in a way, to see Tina say, this is my goodbye. Because she's like, how do I say goodbye? I'm just going to bow out and disappear from sort of the public and it's like not every celebrity has that um option or has had that option to live this long she's 81 live this long and still have control of your life and to say you know what i've worked so hard to the point where i don't even like it anymore she from what I got from the book and interviews, Tina doesn't even listen to a lot, a lot of music. She, they, uh, one interview was like, how has the stroke affected your voice? As if Tina, you know, is still doing, you know, hundreds of concerts every year, but she's like the voice. Um, I'm not sure. I'm guessing it's still there. I don't know. (laughs) Like Tina is retired. Tina is done. And, I was like, no, Tina, don't say that. Don't say this is the end. But now I'm like, you know what, Tina? You've been through cancer. You've been through kidney failure. You've been through Ike fucking Turner. You've had to rebuild your life. You've had to work all over again. When people are at that age where they're like, okay, I'm done working. You had to get back out there and work. Hustle. Tina. You deserve to live in Europe, be a a citizen of the Switzerland, and be peaceful at this point in your life with your husband who has brought you happiness. And oh my gosh, the way she would talk about Erin, she just got so like giddy 
and this isn't Tina now. This was like two years ago. They shot her parts. She was like giddy and excited. And you can still see she has such a passionate and love for him. And it's just like, yes, Tina, this is amazing. That's why I said this is such an amazing film. Go watch it. Um, it's on HBO. Shout out to them. Great job. I want to thank you so much for listening. Give me your thoughts on the film. Give me your thoughts on um, Genius. Give me your thoughts on the Clark Sisters album. All the stuff I've reviewed. Give me your thoughts on My Savior. Leave me a comment. Listen. Next week, I'll be back to talk about more stuff. Um, my Instagram is my love, my need tonight. Shout out to you for listening. Thank you so much, and be back next week.